0: to this Religionish Podcast special series. I'm Ashley Campbell. In last week's newsletter, I highlighted current and upcoming Supreme Court cases dealing with religion. I've noticed that not many people are aware of these cases or their potential impact on religion in U.S. society. At first, I planned on going into more depth about those cases in this episode, but then I thought it may be smarter if we start at the beginning, asking questions like, What does the Supreme Court say about religion? How has it addressed religion in the past? And what major cases have shifted the public and political place of religion in the U.S.? These are the questions that this episode and future ones will answer. Religionish is going on SCOTUS watch. Today, well, I wanted to set a foundation for studying religion and the Supreme Court. We're going to begin with the Constitution. Now, I'm not a legal scholar, and my expertise in religious studies does not focus on religion and the law. But as someone who does study religion and politics, I often come up against legal questions and landmark cases. I've also taken a legal course about religion and law in the U.S. that focused on the Supreme Court. All of that is to say, I don't understand legal jargon. You don't understand legal jargon. This is a legal jargon free zone. So let's dive in. When discussing religion and law, it's most often the Constitution and specifically the First Amendment that it references. Let's clear something up first. There is no God in the Constitution. A specific divine entity is not mentioned in the text of the U.S. Constitution. Not creator, not deity not divine. Nada. And yes, this was a conscious choice according to the majority of constitutional scholars. Religion does make an appearance in the original body of the Constitution, however. Article 6 states, but no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. This means that positions in the U.S. government cannot be limited to individuals of one religious tradition. Religion does make an appearance in the original body of the Constitution, however. Article 6 states, But no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. This means that positions in the U.S. government cannot be limited to individuals of one religious tradition. Another particular wording applicable to religion in the main body of the Constitution is also within Article 6. It states, The senators and representatives before mentioned and the members of the several state legislators and all executive and judicial officers both of the United States and of the several states shall be bound by oath or affirmation. I repeat, oath or affirmation. To many of us today, this may seem like some formal language of the 1700s that doesn't really hold bearing on today. Well, actually, the inclusion of affirmation in the Constitution was for religious reasons. It is not possible in some religious traditions to swear an oath or take a vow. Historically, the main tradition considered in including affirmation was the Quakers. This stance on oaths and vows comes from a biblical passage, Matthew, chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. In short, it says, Swear not at all, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. It is called the Quaker exemption even led to two different wordings of the presidential oath of office. And each place where the president-elect would say swear can be replaced with affirm. Of course, this affirmation option applies to others besides the Quakers nowadays. But it's good to note that attempts to include a plurality of religion theoretically in the new country's governance occurred in Article 6. Now it's time for our first rewind. Okay, yes, this entire episode is essentially a rewind. But I thought we should clear up some dates before we get any further. Drafting the U.S. Constitution was a long process. The Revolutionary War officially ended with the Treaty of Paris in 1783. The U.S. Constitution wasn't adopted until after ratification in 1788. What happened in those five years? A lot. So much that I'm just going to link to a very helpful summary of events produced by the National Archive in the show notes. Basically, what happened, though, was Washington was made president. There was an early form called Articles of Confederation. Then it was decided there needed to be a constitutional congress. So delegates were chosen, plans were proposed, debates ensued. We have the Federalists versus Anti-Federalists, and we have the quote-unquote great compromise about slavery. The first draft of the Constitution was accepted in 1787, and then, of course, changes, more negotiating, and the politicking of ratification happened. So yeah, it was a busy five years. It wasn't that long after the ratification of the Constitution that the idea of the Bill of Rights was proposed. The Bill of Rights are the first ten amendments made to the Constitution. They were ratified and adopted in 1791. If you're thinking that's a really long time, give the guys a break. Winning a war, recovering from a war, and building a functioning government is not an easy feat. So to sum, Constitution, 1788. Bill of Rights, 1791. The Bill of Rights plays the largest role in legal discussions about religion in the U.S., and more specifically, the First Amendment. There are other amendments that get brought up in these cases, but... We'll talk about those on a case-by-case basis. Who can name the rights included in the First Amendment? Oh right, I'm doing a podcast and not teaching right now. Sorry, I really got caught up in my teacher mode there for a second. The rights or freedoms of the First Amendment are religion, speech, press, assemble, and petition. The amendment reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. There are two religion clauses, the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause. What do they mean? Well, That's not as easy to tease out as one might think. The Establishment Clause aims to ensure that the institutions of religion and government are not entwined. Basically, no one religion will have legal or governmental favor over another, and no one religion will have direct influence on the running of government. Also, that the government won't necessarily interfere in religion. Remember, The Church of England was pretty closely connected to government back in the day, and Catholic countries had to answer to the Vatican. But state religions do still exist, such as the Church of England. But beyond ensuring there isn't a state church, where are the bounds of establishment? Culture? Taxes? Governmental contracts? School vouchers? These are all questions that have been raised at the Supreme Court. The Free Exercise Clause may appear to be straightforward at first glance. Let the people believe and worship how they see fit, right? Sort of. Can one perform an animal sacrifice in the name of religion? Can a Seventh-day Adventist be fired for wanting to take Saturday off as a holy day instead of Sunday? And can the expression of one's belief that is not explicitly tied to religion also qualify as religious exercise? Ultimately, what is religion and what is authentic belief? These are also questions that the Supreme Court has and continues to examine. It's not as easy as you thought, huh? And I'm not even going to touch the historical legal debate over why the founders included the two religion clauses and what they intended by them versus how they've been interpreted. For that, you can pick up a few books that I'll link to. In the meantime, This is a wrap on this first installment of SCOTUS Watch. Next time, we'll get into the idea of the separation of church and state and the early establishment cases that SCOTUS heard. Wait! We're not done yet! I wasn't going to miss the opportunity for the first ever Book Corner or Religion Nerd moment. Shhh! Welcome to Book Corner where I gush about what I'm currently reading or toss aside books I'd rather not read for one reason or another. This time, it's really just gushing. N.K. Jemisin, folks. If you don't know of this author, check her out. I first read her Broken Earth series, but I recently started her Hundred Thousand Kingdoms trilogy. This series is within the fantasy genre, and it deals with... gods. That's all I'll say because I just started the second book in the trilogy, and I'm so enthralled in the story that I may just spill all the magical details. If you are interested in more info about Jamison's work, I'm going to review the Broken Earth series on my blog. Sitting in the stacks. You're a nerd. A nerd. You're a nerd. All right. If you subscribe to the Religionist newsletter, you know that. I'm nerding out about something other than religion and law lately. I've been really fascinated by all the religion and coronavirus stories. From the outbreak in South Korea connected to a church to the various stories about modifications to religious rituals to prevent transmission, it just seems like I can't escape a religion and coronavirus story. I'm going to post links to different religion and COVID-19 stories in the show notes, I recommend you check them out and see how religious groups are getting creative and adapting to health necessity. That's it for this episode, folks. Thanks for sticking with the show during its hiatus. And do you have a question about what you heard in this episode? Or want the show to discuss a topic about religion you've encountered? Send us an email at religionishpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Or visit the website religionish.com and leave a comment. That's religion with I-S-H at the end. As always, this show was written, produced, and edited by me, Ashley Campbell. The amazing visual design work for Religionish was done by Liz Allen. And the show's theme music was made by Joe Nicola and Dan Paulhammer. If you liked this episode, please share Religionish and write a review on your podcast listening app. Our entire audience is built through word of mouth and reviews telling the algorithms that people like the show. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Religionish, on Instagram at Religionish underscore podcast, and on Facebook at, well, you guessed it, Religionish. Religionish is on all the popular podcasting apps. So no matter how you listen, whether it's during a commute or walking the dog, you can easily find the show and make your ears happy. Lastly, don't forget to sign up for the religionist newsletter on our website. It comes out each week on Friday, and my opinion writing in the newsletter actually inspired this episode in the following series. So go subscribe to know even more religion nerd knowledge. Thanks for listening.